ghostwriters create new opportunities for stories to be shared. Today, we are going to learn about the ins and outs of the process from Fox Ford's Al Wallace and his ghostwriter, David Smale. From the actual work of a ghostwriter does to how to connect up with your own client, our aim this morning is to have a discussion that illuminate the details of a mostly hidden profession. Now for a little background on our speakers. Right next to me is Al. Al is a native Texan and a graduate of Texas Tech University. His career in broadcast television news and sports spans five different decades and 40 years. He spent 33 years as a sports reporter and anchor at WGAF-TV, Kansas City's oldest and most trusted television station. I, I did not say that as a library employee because I need to remain neutral, but it is a good station. He has covered three World Series, three, in, uh, three Major League Baseball All-Star Games, nine NCAA Final Fours, and countless NFL, college, and high school sporting events. Al and his wife, Marlena, live in Overland Park, Kansas, so not too far from here in the city, and have two daughters, Chase and uh, Cheney. Yes. Yes. Um, next to Al is David. David is a lifelong sports fan who has covered high school, college, and professional sports. His favorite sport is whatever is in season. So what's in season right now? Audience. Football. Football. What else? Football. Football. Basically everything except for swimming, maybe um, outdoor swimming. So his favorite type of story is one that tells about the people involved. His 40 plus year career as a journalist has led to David writing 20 books, many on an, many on an as told to basis, and he'll explain what that means. He loves to tell stories and working with other storytellers to help them get their stories in print fills a big space on his wish list. So I'm going to just open it up with thank you for coming. And um, I want you guys to tell how did you guys get started? Tell us your guys' story. Um, first of all, thank you for coming. Thank you for that introduction. Um, usually I go one, two, three into a mic to make sure it's working and everybody can hear me good. but. Uh, I trust that's the case now, so if you do need me to speak up a little bit, I will do that. <clears throat> um, this was my first book, and I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to be my last or not. Uh, it's just a question mark. But there is no way, no how, I could have written a book without help. Um, this, this is a ghostwriting session, so I, I truly... Uh, I want to stay with, with, within that avenue. And that's why I said there's no way I could have written a book just by myself. In fact, uh, David first approached me about writing a book. And this book was published just this past May. So what's that, six months? But David first approached me about writing a book four or five years ago uh, because he thought I, you know, we'd, we'd been friends and he'd heard, heard me around locker rooms or dugouts or around sporting events just chatting with other reporters, and he told me, you tell a good story. I think you have a story to tell. Um, you ought to consider writing a book. And what he said to me and during those times would go in one ear and write out the other. I mean, well, I know about writing a book. I was, yeah, I was a he blew me off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I, I did, because 
I knew nothing about how to write a book. But then after I decided to leave television and retire, David sent me a, a message on Facebook and said, hey, you got time for that book now. And why not? So we sat out, we met at the, if you're from here in Overland Park, we met at Old Park Mall. We had a coffee there at the Barnes & Noble, of all places, books. And um, we just we kind of went over a formula of how he had been a ghostwriter for others and how I might want to enlist him to help me write a book. So that's how we started. This book, we've been talking for seven minutes, we haven't even told you the title of the book. <laughs> it's called One for the Coyotes. How I Survived 40 Years of My Dream Job in Television News. And Cancer Too. So the book, even though I have a 40-year career, had a 40-year career in broadcast television news and sports, the book is not about television, and it's not about sports. The book, and David was, uh, we were both adamant about this in you know, our initial meeting. The book is about me. Now, those elements make up my life, but this book is about me. And throughout our working together, David would uh, consistently say, this is your book. He was simply there to help me tell the story. I believe I've got that right. But if I would have written this a book or this book by myself, it wouldn't have been the same book. I needed help. And that I believe that, that that's just me. Other people, authors may want a ghostwriter to help them for other reasons. I needed help because I didn't know how to do it. I know my story, but I don't necessarily know how to tell my story, not in book form. And that's where David came in. And I, I will just say that, as I said, I, you know, we were, at, I think we were in Coffin Stadium, waiting for Ned Yost to, uh, to do his daily grind of the media, and um, we were just all telling stories. And it was a couple weeks before the anniversary of the Pine Tar game, and so we were all talking about. Pardon me. What you know? Our recollections of the Pine Tar game, and I said, "Well, I had a pretty good one because I was there. Uh, we were living in New York at the time. This is 1983. This conversation took place in 2015. David, if you don't mind me interrupting, said I was there at that game, which took place 32 years ago. And so nobody believed it because I'm a Kansas City sports writer. I said we were living in New York, my wife and I, and in April." I said, what do you want to do for your birthday? And she said, let's see who the Yankees are playing. And I said, who are you and what have you done with my wife? Because she's a sports fan. So we looked it up and, and um, saw they were playing the Royals. We're both from Kansas City. And so um, my uncles are in the agent business. So they had players on, on both teams. And we got our, our tickets from one of the Royals players. And so we went to the game. We're sitting there, and I'm sitting next to for longtime baseball fans. You might remember the name Gaylord Perry. He was one of my uncle's clients, and we're sitting next to his uncle. And Willie Wilson makes the second out at the top of the inning, top of the ninth inning. The Royals are down one. He starts to gather his stuff. I said, "Where are you going?" And I'm 20, 25, 26 years old at the time. 
Barry Brash, and he said, I'm going to beat the crowd. I said, don't go anywhere. We'll, uh, you know, Washington's going to get a base hit. They're going to bring in Gossage, and Brett's going to hit a home run. And he goes, oh, okay. And he sits back down, which was, <laughs> was humorous to me. And so, you know, Washington gets a base hit. Out comes Billy Martin, points to the, to the bullpen. I said, see, goes, well, that was the easy part. Well, I don't know how much you remember about that day, but the Brett hit the first pitch out of the ballpark that far foul down the left field line. He looked at me, and I said, hey, in my premonition, it looked fair. <laughs> then he took a ball, and then he hit one out, and the place was quiet, except for the four guys sitting in front of us who were the older brothers of a Royals rookie pitcher named Mike Armstrong, who was from New York City, who had come in in relief, who stood to be the winning pitcher, and that was going to be his first major league victory. And so as, he, as they're, they're celebrating, we're quietly celebrating because I know what it's like to be in Yankee Stadium rooting for the other team. And my wife said, what's Billy Martin doing? I said, oh, he's going to come out and complain about something. That's just what Billy Martin does. And she, she said, uh, well, what's he going to complain about? He's holding the bat. Oh, he's going to say George Corks the bat. Said, does he? No. Okay. Then they lay the bat down. I said, now what's he complaining about? I said, well, he's going to say that George has too much pine tar on his bat. She says, does he? And I said, yeah, probably. What happens if the ump agrees? And as I said, watch out, Tim McClellan goes like this, and George comes storming out. Well, it was no longer deathly quiet. That stadium shook. And it was just, you know, I told that story to a group of reporters, and then Al told a story, and then some other people told stories. And I kind of remember saying to him, you tell a good story, you ought to write a book. And I kind of remember him going, i got to get to work. <laughs> or something, something along that line. But I just, we've, we've been friends for a while just by covering the same sporting events. Every once in a while, I'd see him at a game. Hey, you ready to write that book? <laughs> yeah, right. And so then when I saw that he had, you know, was stepping down from news, hey, are you interested? And it really went fast because that meeting he talked about at Barnes & Noble was in January. And the book was published May 30th, I think it was. It, it, it went pretty fast because of... The, the technique that David uses in helping, that he used with me, and that I believe he still uses, what, 20 books, you said? Um, and how many have you had? So half of the 20 books he's written, he's been the ghostwriter for. And it, it went fast with me because of the technique he used. So David would come to my house, and we'd, we'd go to my office, and, um, get two small recorders and he would he had we had talked about the <laughs> we had talked about the intestines of the book what's gonna what's gonna be the guts of the book what, what are we gonna do what's this book about it's about my life and about the life lessons that I have learned through my history the first chapter in the book which is entitled One for the Coyotes, How I Survived 40 Years of Television News. That's my dream job, and cancer too. But the first chapter of the book is entitled History. And we talk about my perception of history and how history has shaped my life, how I grew up in the 60s in a military family. We lived across the country, different army bases. We lived in Germany for a number of years. So my appreciation of history has helped shape my life and it has helped shape my work ethic. Well, David would ask me questions about my life and my work ethic. 
throughout these 14 chapters of the book and he would say one and he would give one recording the other recording he'd give to his mother and she would transcribe our conversation she, she's 86 sharp sharp as a tack her nagging gene still works perfectly but <laughs> but she loves being a secretary and so. and so that question you're talking about these questions that you're asking can you um because ghostwriting is a specific um, type of writing where you're providing voice, Al's voice throughout the script. So can you talk to us about some of those questions? Like, what what kind of questions do you ask? They were questions we agreed upon. First yeah. of all, yes. That's and, and we would get off. We would get off. You know, we would get off track, if you will, because there'd be a follow up here or there. And basically, the, the Al talked about the formula. Let me just go through that really quickly. I, I the first question I ask anybody I want to help write a book. Is, it's actually a two-part question. What's your point and what's your topic? And those sound like they're the exact same thing, and they're totally different. Your topic is what you're writing about. Your point is what you want the reader to take away when they get through. And so Al's topic is his 40-year career in sports broadcasting and surviving cancer and how his love of history, you know, helped him survive that 40 years of his dream job, which has, you know, lots of, lots of uh, heartache and, and difficult times through. His, his point is the work ethic and the value of you. And so we, we, would, we started with that, and then we flushed it out a little bit. Okay, give me several things that you want to talk about. And then I would work on them. I'd put them in, into an order that I thought would flow. I'd send it back to him. Do you like this order? Yes. Okay, then I would start writing some questions about each of those topics. And then he would send them back and say, okay, I like these. I don't want this one. But how about these? And so we would have the questions written out. So really, our time together was, okay, the next question is this, what do you think? And in those, in those sessions, I didn't do much of the talking because we had, we had developed those questions together <clears throat> well enough that he knew what I was going to ask and he was prepared for those statements. So there were questions that, to answer your question, there were questions that helped him tell the story that he wanted to tell in that particular chapter. Does that answer your question? No. Very much so. I, I think um, many of the people, I can't speak for all of you writers out there, but um, uh, having talked to many writers before, if, if they're embarking on ghost writing, what preparations do they need to have as um, stepping into this maybe new chapter for them, if, you're, if this is the first time that they're writing? Um, something in someone else's voice um, because the um, the authorship is no longer right. yours right. and so the transferring of that and the negotiations that even as a ghostwriter that yes you might have penned it but it's not yours now well just like if you know if you're writing a book about somebody maybe somebody's deceased or you're whether you don't know them and you're writing a biography you have to know about them and the same is true with ghostwriting. I had to know, I knew Al, but I had to know a lot more about him. I had to, I had to find out that, that he hadn't played football at Texas Tech. He had gone to Texas Tech and had covered Texas Tech, but he hadn't played there. I, I learned a lot about him just in, in casual conversation. So it, it's still the, the same process as if you're, if you're the only source, if it is your voice, but the questions are, based on that information that you know and, 
and how you can help them spell out what they the, the point is it this is Al's book I've got ways that I think it may it may have been worded better in a couple of cases but this is Al's book as, as we were talking this morning you know when the police show up it's him they're after not me <laughs> but this is Al's book so you so you have to know what I have to know what Al wants to tell not just stories that I think are interesting, but what Al wants to tell. And so you form your questions with that. So the agenda is a little bit different yeah, in that absolutely. case. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I want to make two points here. One, the second point I want to, I want to make is why did we choose that title? And what's that mean? One for the coyotes. But I want to start with something that David just said, that it, it was my book. Repeatedly through this three and a half, four month process of us writing this book, uh, we didn't agree on everything. And so I would want to go one direction here, and David may want to go another direction. Now, this happened from time to time. It didn't happen every day. Um, but David, when, 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 when push came to push or shove came to shove or push came to shove, David would say, it's your book. He's the ghostwriter. And he would always say, he didn't say 99% of the time. He said it 100% of the time. He said, this is your book. And he allowed me ownership. So, and I was the one who said, okay, if we write this book and it breaks a law, the police are going to come and they're going to come for me. So that's just... It hasn't happened, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but but he, he, would, he would always allow me that. And uh, there, was, there was never, you know, we, we never got contentious. Or, but we had disagreements on... on what should be said, or how do we want to put this, or how do we want to present this? And but he would always say, 100% of the time, when okay, we got to go one direction or the other, he would say, "It's your book," and and I appreciate that. I, I, I uh, so much. I appreciate that. Um, one for the Kyles, the, the name of the book, title of the book, uh, which is title of chapter four. So, so much of my life, this is a book about me. This is not a book about sports, even though sports is a big part of my life. Um, I grew up in Texas where football is so big. And I grew up in a military family where discipline is so big and important. And in Texas, football equals discipline. And not just the players or the coaches, whether it's high school or peewee or college or NFL, professional, whatever. But football in Texas is seen, is seen as a mechanism for structure and discipline uh, throughout uh, a community, throughout uh, a family, throughout a collection of people. Cheerleaders, boosters, band club, they all use the sport of football to um, help them implement structure. And I've lived around the world. And I've lived in numerous states, and I've never seen a sport uh, with such a positive influence as football. Now, there's a lot of negatives about football, but overall, this football in Texas is, is, is used as a mechanism for structure and for something positive. My high school football coach said, um, no other no other sport other than high school football will you see a gathering of young people 
for the good of the community. Only church, church, is the only other public gathering of young people where something positive can come out of such a large gathering. Now there are numerous other large gatherings of young people, but on Friday nights in Texas, the only church outnumbers football. So with that said, this coach that I had, um, we had a decent team in junior high and high school, but the head football coach kind of, his structure uh, permeated the athletic structure of the high school and the junior highs. And so he was, what he said was kind of gospel, if you will. Uh, in our district that we played in, there was one team that was not just the best team in our district, but it was the best team in the state for numerous years. Just, they were unbeatable. They beat us by sophomore, junior, senior year. They probably beat us by a combined score of 180 to nothing. It was just difficult for us to even score against this team. They were so good. And they were the Wichita Falls High School Coyotes. So throughout um, our season, which was in the fall, or in Texas, in high school where you have spring football, you have a, basically a season of football in the spring, practice, game, the whole deal. And this is in the late 60s and early 70s. So whenever we were doing drills, whether it was in the weight room or running or on the field or whatever, if you did 10 of those, that was fine. But if you wanted to beat the Coyotes, you had to do one more. So this, there was this work ethic of, <clears throat> say it all the time, what you gotta do to do one more, do one for the Coyotes. So I grew up with that work ethic of one for the Coyotes, and I used that throughout my high school, then college, then my work career. I use that work ethic. Me and my wife go to the gym now just to work out. We're on the cycle or we're walking it. You know, walking around the track. 30 minutes. Are we done? And we kind of, let's do one more. Let's do one for the coyotes. So that work ethic through my years in broadcasting helped me get through 40 years. That and the discipline I learned from my father. That's where the title of the book came. David understood that immediately. Because I, I, I mentioned one for the Coyotes, and he said, oh, your high school team, you were the Coyotes? And I said, no, we were the Rams. The Coyotes used to beat the crap out of us. But he understood immediately, and he pointed at me, and he said, that's the title of your book. Yeah, I, if I can interrupt, his, his title was this long, and I don't remember what it was. But he said, no, I want to do this and this. And I said, by the time the reader is, who's walking by the bookshelf gets to the end of that, they're on the cookbooks or whatever. <laughs> you need to grab all the cookbooks. You need to grab their attention. And so I, I that was one of those where I, I said, this is your book, but I think you need a concise title that gets the person thinking, what, what in the world? Because most people say one for the coyotes. Around here we call them coyotes, but the, in my high school coach, it was the coyotes. And so, and I understand the road runner and the Wiley Coyote thing. And I get it, but for me, <clears throat> the coyotes, that's the way he pronounced it. But the, the role of the ghostwriter is to make suggestions, and if you really feel strongly, to make strong suggestions, still deferring and saying, okay, this is your book, but Al, if you really want to grab the attention of the person who isn't coming to see you, isn't coming to buy your book, but just walking down the, the bookstore aisle and they see the book, you want to get their attention, you got to grab it. 
And one for the coyotes not only tells your story, but grabs their attention. And then the subtitle can be something that's a little more drawn out. And David, you just mentioned that um, um, adding your expertise, you are a writer. Um, and um, that relationship that you have with the client, in this case Al, um, making sure that you, you have an expertise, you have this skill set. There is a reason why Al approached um, approach David to do well, because I kept doing this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. not not but but there's um, that speaks to the relationship of why people need writers in order to tell their stories. Um, and um, yes, it is Al's book, and those are his stories, and you're the one that's pinning them because you are the David's the expert at that penmanship. So I think that that's a really good point to consider when you're um, thinking as a writer that you do have to do a little pushback sometimes that it's not always um, just completely one-sided, um, that you are both an educator at that point of educating, but then also of uh, making sure that you're being empathetic. Um, you you got to check your ego at the door because you, you may feel very strongly about something, but if you really believe, and I think you have to, if you really believe that it's that person's book, you have to be able to accept when he makes the wrong decision. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean that it, as sarcastically as that sounded, but if he decides to do something differently than, than you suggested, you have to be okay with that. Uh, and the way I described it, somebody asked me not too long ago, we were, we were somewhere together, and, and, and we were going to be the speaker, and Al was the only one that was up on stage. And a person came to me and said, did that bother you? And I said, no. I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm very comfortable in front of a room of people. I'm, I'm, when we have family gatherings and they say sweets for the sweets, they pass me the ham. So I'm really comfortable <laughs> in that role. But, but, when, but stepping into this role, what's the one thing that we can all be sure of about ghosts? They're transparent. They have to be willing to be transparent. You have to be willing to voice your opinion and then just disappear. And so I think that's a critical part. Um, one thing I, I didn't consider, and, and the, the, the best thing about writing this book with David was, first of all, I needed help. I've said that. I couldn't have done it by myself. But I never considered what would come after the book was written. Or, how do I get a book published? I could have gone to uh, Office Max and bought a, uh, you know, a packet of paper and written a book. And it had been sitting there on the shelf. How do I get this published? And how do I market it and sell it? Never considered it. I've written sports for television. I've written sports for magazine for years. I've never written a book. What I did was sit in front of a camera or sit in front of a microphone for two minutes, sometimes 30 minutes, and I talk about a live event or whatever. But I never had a packaged product cover to back cover. How do I get, how do I get this produced published 
marketed and sold. I had no clue. He knew it all. I'd have never been able to, to write a book from start to finish, from here to here to there without help. The overall package, you've got to, you've got to consider the overall package. And I had no idea. Well, I, from almost the second week, I started saying to David, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And I've had to, but David knew all those things because he had done those before. He knew how to self-publish. He knew how to, he said, hey, you know, Al, you're not Barack Obama. They're not coming to you to write a book, you know. <clears throat> now, he didn't say that, but, you know, he said it in a way to make me realize it. You know, you can self-publish. This is, it's, it's going to cost you a little bit of money, you know, to, but not, not all that much. Here's how we can do it. He knew he had a formula. He, had, he knew how to do it. He'd done it before. He had experience that I didn't have. So I had to open up myself to help. So the, um, you just brought up the next question that I was going to ask, and it is directed to David about um, getting into ghostwriting, because it's not for everyone. Um, so um, if you could speak to how you got into it, and then also um, how do you still maintain your voice? Uh, you do have a voice within it. Um, how do you still maintain that? How do you negotiate that? I think that that could be some good tips for anyone that is um, thinking about ghostwriting of um, that they're your words, but you have to say goodbye to them at some point. Well, let me break it apart. The first question is how do you, how do you get into it? Um, it? I mean, this sounds really trite, but you find people's stories that you want to help them tell. Um, you know, with, with Al, uh, it was it was almost accidental, uh, but th then it became a challenge because he blew me off so many times that I was like, okay, we're finally going to convince him to do this. And and when he announced on Facebook that he was stepping down from Fox Four, uh, I saw it on Facebook one morning. And I sent him a message that day: Are you ready to do that work? And I was I was pleasantly surprised that that day I got a response: Yes, let's talk. Uh, let's talk. He said, my last day is December 20th, and we have Christmas. Let's talk in January. And one thing that Al will probably attest to is I'm a persistent little booger. You know, I did not let grass grow under my feet. And so I, in that case, I, I, um, you know, I pursued some things. If there's stories you want to tell, I'm, I'm working on a book right now um, with, I don't know how many of your sports fans, if you're college basketball fans, the name Joe Lenardi will mean something to you. It's the guy that created bracketology, and we're doing a book on the history of bracketology. Uh, it's just a matter of recognizing a story that could sell. I mean, <clears throat> let's be blunt. Uh, you're not going to write a book that's not going to sell. You know, you, you make money by writing books. So you want a story that will sell. In, in Al's case, he was a well-known broadcaster in this in this community for 30 plus years, I knew it would sell. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Gordon Docking, was in broadcasting for a number of years and then went into uh, healthcare. He's got a great story. Al connected me with Gordon and we already knew each other and, and so Gordon's book is out now too. But it's find stories that will tell and then offer your services. It's really that, it's really that simple. And your second question was, 
um, maintaining your voice even though it's being turned over, the authorship is being turned over. Yeah, and that, that's that's probably the toughest thing. <clears throat> One of the things that, that I, Al and I were talking, we've talked quite a bit about this, we were talking this morning uh, as we were preparing for this, is that I wanted, if somebody picked up the book, didn't look at the cover, which has Al's picture on it, uh, on, on the set of the World Series um, in 2015. But if they didn't pick it up and they just started reading the book and somebody knew Al, I wanted them to say, this sounds like Al Wallace with Gordon Docking's book. This sounds like Gordon Docking talking. So that that is my ultimate goal with any of these books is to <clears throat> for somebody who knows the author to make make them think that it's their voice. But none of us, including us writers, speak with correct grammar very often. You know, uh, I mean, I guarantee you, you know, is not in the book. <laughs> but I say that all the time. So <clears throat> um, if I just if my mom transcribed. The interviews and all I did was say, okay, here's your book. No, it's, there's got to be some fluidity to it. There's got to be the, the chapters themselves have to flow. There's got to be some transition in there. And that's one of my skills is to be able to, to make it flow, to make the story, to make the person not want to put the book down and still sound like that person. Is that yes. your question? Yeah, and so this goes back to that. Um, um, you were mentioning this in the in the first part of that about being a. Uh, you often write about sports. Um, that's the, the uh, your subject matter expertise, and so like when it comes to uh, when it comes to the uh, ghost writing aspect, it's knowing the subject matter, like even having a passion behind that subject matter is what I, I'm seeing. Um, just in this conversation, you have to have a passion. So can you speak to that? Because if you would you write a, do a ghost writing for a medical journal? It might be a little bit dif more difficult. It would be more difficult, but if they paid me well enough, yes, absolutely, I would do it. I would do it. But because again, it's their voice. You know, if Al was was you know Marilyn McCain who did the the health report for Fox Four for a number of years. Yeah, I could I could work with Marilyn McCain on her book, but she would probably have to explain more things to me in the process. Um, yes, sports is a passion for me, um, but really telling stories is, is more of a passion. It helps if I understand what they're talking about. It helps that many of the games that Al was referring to, I was there too. It helps that you know some of the events that he, he remembers, you know, we're, we're basically a year apart in age. It helps the things he remembered, I remember. Um, but. Helps that research. The research aspect is different than um, just right. pointing that out. That if you already have the interest within right. that particular field or that particular subject, then you don't have to do as much of the research. Right, but it really comes down to you know with each person. I I, I think I counted of the books that I've done. Uh, the, the current one that I'm working on, which is Joe's, which is number twenty, will be the tenth one that I've done on. I. I I wrote that bio, so I'm not going to give you too much credit for reading that bio. But uh, you know, the as told to basically means as a ghostwriter, um, and ten of them have been that way. And I basically uh, dove myself into that person's life or that person's story, um, and my passion became their passion. 
and most times it was about sports. Um, uh, there was uh, one that I did a couple of years ago. <laughs> it was on a, a friend of mine that I worked with at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, an African-American man uh, who in 1980 married a white girl, and it was not until September 11 of 2001 that he was allowed in his in-law's house because they did not believe in mixed marriages. And yet this guy was not, um, his book is not poor me. It's, here. you know, there's, our, our country still has racism. It's better than it was when Greg and I were, were much younger, you know, in the 60s, and it's a whole lot better than it was 150 years ago. But there's still room to grow. So his book is, let's learn from history. Let's build on. Let's build on what we've learned. Let's not make the same mistakes. We'll make different mistakes. Let's not make the same mistakes. Well, as I was working on Greg's book, there are many times he'd say, "Do I have to answer that?" Well, yeah. If you want the book to be real, if you want the book to be uh, helpful, yes, you do. And for the time when I was working specifically on that book, I became a black man who was married to a white girl whose in-laws, whose parents wouldn't accept me. And so my passion, and Greg and I, a lot of it was about sports, because he worked for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes a long time ago, as did I, and so we had that shared platform. But it was really my passion became Greg's passion, and, and it transcended sports, just like Al's book, Transcended Sports. So I think that you, um, many of the, uh, the people that you have ghostwritten for, um, you have a direct connection to, and I think that that's something that any ghostwriter that you're thinking about, if you haven't ghostwritten before, that reaching out to people that you know um, to tell those stories is a good starting point um, because you already know potentially their, uh, some background that they might not have to explain as much. Um, I do want to open this up to audience questions, so if you do have a question, yay! <laughs> Let's go right here. We're going to go here, then Mary back in the back, and then here, and then right there. Okay. On, on your meetings together and the organization of the story, how did, how did the conversations go to, to choose whether you would go by chronology or theme? How did those go, and how did you come up with a bottom line? As I said earlier, we, we developed that plan, and it was a lot of back and forth. When he told me what his topic and his point was, uh, then I'd ask him, okay, what, what particular stories do you want to tell? Well, I want to start with my love of history, and then I want to talk about my personal history, then I want to talk about the fact that I live in Germany, then I want to talk about what the, the title of the book, Playing High School Football, and then go through. So he went through those things. All right, then I would ask more detailed questions, and we'd go back and forth with email, and he would say, yes, I like these take this one out, add these, things like that. So that it was really a, a lot of back and forth. So that when we sat down to do it, and he mentioned there was some times when we went, uh, we got off track, but it was, it was not on a completely different set of, of tracks. It was something neither of us had anticipated, but we were able to work it back in because it fit in the framework that we had agreed upon before we sat down to meet. Uh, and are you getting at the point of like whether or not it's going to be a biography or a memoir? Um, I think this is a, like the scope. Well, or or the order. Like you don't talk about early sport. You, do you order it by the importance of the '85 series or by how '85 fits into the bigger picture? Do you go chronology? 
I think Al could answer this. Uh, we, we started the book, chapter one is called History. And I think the first paragraph, I, I talked about my parents and who they were. And the book starts with a foundation of them because their foundation produced me. So we start with the, that foundation of history and my appreciation of, of history. And one historical event may mean something to you that happened on May 3rd, 1999. You may have a, you may have a significant recollection of that date and someone over here may say, yes, on that date, May 3rd, 1999, that was a bad day. You said that was a good day. So we all have a different perspective of history. So that's why I wanted I wanted I wanted to start that way with my parents, and then myself, their love of family, and history, and basically introduce myself that way because I love history and I I I love the importance and appreciate the importance of history. And let me jump in there that. <clears throat> We knew that we wanted history to be a big part of this, so that was a good way to introduce it. But we changed the order of chapters after the book was written. Yeah. After the interviews were done, we changed just a couple of chapters because we figured, and I, I tell you what, with a ghostwriter, and I, I worked 40 years in television, and I never, because the, the, the TV station that I worked at, and all of them basically, we had three computer programs, and no media organization wants you or you or you getting on the interweb and digging into their stuff. So I could not work many times from home into my work. So therefore I was never required at work to work with Google Docs. So I didn't know Google Docs until this past January because <laughs> I had I've never had a need for it because the station I worked for wouldn't last. They didn't want anybody else to worm their way through the interweb yeah. or the internet. So I didn't know. So David and I, once I once we learned, or I did, learned of Google Docs, he was able to be at home, I'd be at home, and we would, we would work on a document together. So that helped. Plus we only lived 10 minutes apart. So there was, that made it, that made it much easier. But to answer your, to finish your question, I would say don't be married to your outline. It set your outline, know where you're going with it, but be willing flexibility. to be willing to carry from that. Always but you feel like, well, this story, this story fits better up here. Actually, this whole chapter fits better up here. Let's move it and make it flow better. Okay, Mary. Thank you. One quick question, David. Is your name on the book? Yes, it is. Okay. And is it what was with or? I think we chose with. Um, yeah, yeah. But my main question, and I'm not interested in the numbers, well I am interested in the numbers, but what kind of contract do you have, a collaborator agreement of some kind between you, um, and does it include things like um, a percent of the sales, or uh, what elements are in your agreement with them? Um, basically the way I do it is, is I figure out how many hours it's going to take me to do the book based on you know past experience what my hourly rate is and i want to i want to make sure i get at least that much out of the deal with a book like al's um instead of just charging them a flat fee for it i think that book will sell 
And so I'm willing to gamble a little bit and say, I will take less of a guarantee, but I want a percentage of profits. And, case and, by case. Yes. Yeah, there, there's one that's going to be out in, uh, that none of you will read because it doesn't interest you, but it's a, a guy in California whose wife died of cancer, and it's a tribute book to her. And nobody's ever heard of him around here. Um, and I don't know that I can't be out there in Fresno helping him publicize it. So I just ask for my my flat fee. But with Al, I think it'll sell. So I we put in there that I get a percentage of his profits, not of sales, because he needs to make money on this too. But once he breaks even, then I get a percentage of each book that's sold after that. Okay, thank you. Um, so. When you're figuring out your hours, what's going to take? Does that include things like messing with the publishing part of it? Um, yeah. I'm going to spend this many ten hours um, dealing with the cover or something. Yes, I mean it's an inexact science. You know, I figured uh, I probably underestimated, but I'm always I'm just <clears throat> I'm a pretty conservative person, and so I'm going to always underestimate if I'm charging out for something I'm going to underestimate what I think it would be but I think I think I figured a hundred hours and that's you know meeting it's at Barnes and Noble to writing out the questions to editing the questions to sending the questions to asking the questions I don't charge for my mom's time because she I was just going to ask <laughs> but then to take the transcription and then turning it into a to a first person um, you know flowing manuscript all that gets added in and then there's probably 10 hours of it is working with the, the publisher because the way I do it the, I've got a, a self-publisher I work with now uh, six times and, and they they're great to work with and they're not real expensive and they do quality work uh, is it, I know the steps so I handle everything until we say print and then it all goes to Al and he's making decisions from that point on and they're very comfortable with that Thank you. Question right here. I came in here thinking I knew what ghostwriting was, but I'm completely confused. Is it like being a reporter and kind of writing a biography, or is it more like a collaboration? I, I think there's a lot of different ways that ghostwriting can occur, and your guys' is, 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 it seems to me, it's very collaborative, um, a very collaborative nature. Yes. Um, so uh, there are um, several, um, if you go to our the website, the uh, Johnson County Library website, um, through the uh, Biblio Commons, which is our books uh, that you can check out, if you just write in ghostwriting, you're going to get a whole slew of what is ghostwriting, and um, this is these are some of the resources that, that are available. Okay, thank okay. you. You're welcome. And you had a question? I have a question for each of you. Um, for you, were you always clear? Of, were you clear from the outset what your point was and what your topic was, and you didn't want to talk about, I don't know, your time in Kuwait when you were 10 years old? Or how did, I mean, that process of focus. Yeah. Um, I think throughout my, my, my career in television, I was required to have a certain focus. And when we were talking, we were talking about this this morning, our first meeting, we sat down and we, we talked overall general philosophy of how, we, how are we going to do this. And what I did, and this, is a, this is a writing technique that I learned, I don't know, I was in junior high. 
I was a terrible student when I was, you know, high school and college. I was terrible. I graduated, but I was terrible. Um, but somewhere, uh, an instructor told me to, to write a, to write, if I'm going to write, tell a story, whether it's uh, 14 chapters or one page, okay? To, to write a broad statement at the top of the page, to write a line at the bottom of the page, which is the same statement, but, but say it in a different way. So I call it a sandwich. So I've got my statement at the top. This is how I start to tell my story. Here's how I end my story. Here in the middle, right? That's the meat. But if I, if I've got these two lines, I draw a line from this end to this end. And so they get, I draw an X. And here in the middle, that's my point. So I got this, I got this, and then I got my point in the middle because I've drawn an X. So I've made these two points intersect. The top and the bottom are, the, are this is my statement, this is re reaffirmation, this is my point. And that's, that's how I tell a story. I don't care if it's a 30-second story or a 30-chapter story. Now, this doesn't have to be in the exact middle, but it's somewhere in the meat of the sandwich. Okay. That's my formula. Okay, and then and this is going to be the, um, uh, we are actually wrapping up this session, so um, there's another session in here in like five minutes, so um, for your question, if you don't mind asking him directly right after this, and then we'll all hang out right over here, but we need to get the room set for the next one. Thank you so much. This is Leah Bond, and I hope you enjoyed this panel on ghostwriting. I am very fortunate to live in a community whose public library offers this writer's conference every year free of charge. This is the first of nine recordings of panels that I have been granted permission to record and share with you. I urge you all, feel free to explore the information provided with this audio and discover more about Al Wallace, David Smale, and their book, one for the coyotes. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.